for each of us to live faithful lives for God. It's something that we each have. We each understand it, at least to a large degree. And, um, and yet this morning I would like to look at this and think about this. And uh, because all of us at times, myself included, I need to sharpen my conscience. I need to clarify things sometimes that have become cloudy to me. Or I have to um, adjust some things in my thinking because... Uh, maybe I have allowed certain areas of weakness or straying in my life. Now I'd like to, for the uh, main part of the message now, to look at Luke chapter 11. And and notice here um, in Jesus' words as he describes what I believe is the conscience. And of course the goal of this is to help us strengthen our conscience, clarify our conscience, however you want to say it. But to have, like Paul said, to be able to exercise a good conscience. To say, I have a conscience that's void of offense. In other words, my conscience, Paul was saying, is not telling me anything right now that is, that is wrong. I, I, it's not offending. I'm not offending my conscience in any way. All right, now Luke uh, 11 here. Jesus in his ministry is preaching and teaching, and he refers to this. Luke 11 and verse 29 And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh shall shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body shall be full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light. As when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Now, let's understand this. Look at it a little closer. To understand what Jesus is saying here, especially as it relates to the conscience. What is the conscience? Atheistic biologists have made fun of this. I remember reading an article about a, I think he was a surgeon of some kind. But he was saying, you know, all the parts of the body that I have operated on and opened up to scrutiny, I have never seen a conscience in there. But this morning, we know there's a conscience in here. We know there's a conscience. We have a lot of experience with this conscience. Some of it good, some of it bad. 
It's there. It's the related to the soul, the spirit of man. We're going to look at some of this. Here in this passage, Jesus starts off by comparing it to an eye. And like in verse 34, the light of the body is the eye. Without light, you cannot see a thing. You know, you could say, well, um, my eyesight is still good. But I remember being, as a boy, I don't know how old I was, but we went to Carlsbad Caverns. That was the deepest cave I've ever was in. And they turned off the lights when you're down underneath it. I don't know, we were, I'm not sure how many hundred feet down. but They turned off the lights for a little bit. They warned us, just be careful, just stand still, don't move, don't panic. We're going to turn off the lights to show you what real darkness is. That is dark. That is really dark. You talk about darkness that you can almost feel. Of course, the scripture talks about another darkness. This is just a side note here. It talks about outer darkness. Which I think as more, not just physical darkness or the absence of light, as we know light. But I believe outer darkness is where there is, it's also the darkness of spirit. Or it's a spiritual darkness. That is beyond even physical darkness. It's the absence of spiritual light. You know, when you're in total darkness, like deep in some cave and they turn off the lights, you still have spiritual light. I can still pray. I can, you know, you can talk to God. You can. But outer darkness is the absence of spiritual light. Now, so the eye, our eyes bring in light. They. they the eye is a receiver and a reflector. I don't know, have a lot of knowledge of eyes and how they work. I find them very fascinating. A little bit we can read and, and study about them. But the eye is a receiver and a reflector. So light goes into the, to your eye. It reflects off the back of the eye. And, of course, the optical nerves send those images to the brain, which interprets them and gives us the image that, that we that we see, we say. Well, Jesus is here comparing this to the illumination of our bodies, you know, the light that we are receiving through our eyes sitting here, as the light of the soul that is reflected onto, you could say, the soul. You know our bodies were made, you know, three-dimensional as it were, body, soul, and spirit. And so the spiritual realm the soul realm, which is, you know, our wills, our intellect, our emotions. You know, there, there's, there's a spiritual light that is reflected. Just like we were sitting here a little bit ago singing some songs. You know, and you can look at the page and read the music because you have light coming into your eye and that's reflected back. You're able to interpret that in your brain and you can read the music. But, you know, that was not the real light of those songs, was not the fact that you could see. But, you know, there was a spiritual dimension that was reflected upon our soul and upon our spirit. And the, the reflection of those, of the, uh, talk about the hearing part of it, but, but all of that is, it, may, it affects us, body, soul, and spirit. You know, some songs, you know, affect us in a bodily way because 
it touches our emotions, it touches our soul. And after a while, you know, you could start tapping your foot a little bit, you know, because music can affect us body, soul, and spirit. Of course, the world's music only affects the body and darkens the soul. The, the, the music of the Christian reaches all the way into the body, soul, and spirit. It makes, when we're singing that, those beautiful hymns, it makes you want to go out and serve God in more faithfulness because it has touched our soul. So all of that relates to this whole idea of the conscience and the light and the eyes being a receiver and a reflector. It reflects to the spirit of man what light it receives from an outside source. And this is an, an important part of what we understand. So the conscience really is, is light like a mirror. And I'm going to try to illustrate this this morning. I brought a mirror along. So even the youngest ones here, can, younger ones, can understand this. The conscience is, is like a mirror. And it's not a mirror that reflects our image. Unless, this morning, we... Or, or I should say it this way, unless there would be those, except for those who are humanistic in their thinking. You see, when they view the conscience, they view it as something that just reflects themselves. That's humanism. And so you can gaze into this mirror as long as you want to. But that is not going to, not going to be the light of Christ it's only the reflection of yourself. And that's just an illustration of the selfishness, the self-centeredness of humanism. And so you have people, you have these slogans, you know, well, just do whatever you think is right. You know, it's up to you. And, and all those types of things. It's like gazing into this mirror and trying to take my direction for life and my understanding of truth from my own reflection in the mirror, which, of course, you could say is narcissistic. But that's where the world is. God intends for us as people of God to, uh, to understand the way the conscience works and to allow it to be a guide for our lives. Now, I'd like to back up. What happens with a conscience, you know, when we're born and we grow up as a child? Now, the scripture says, 1 John, I'm oh, sorry, Gospel of John says, in relation to Christ, He is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Because of the curse of sin, the conscience was affected in the fall of man. I didn't practice this ahead of time, so I'm just going to try this here. And so there's a sense in which the conscience was darkened because of the sin nature. And we're born with this. And so there's, because this, this um, conscience was darkened, it does not accurately reflect truth to us, except that God left that glimmer of light in the conscience, in the person of every, every normal human being has that. It's the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God did, did not leave fallen man in total darkness. Now, there's Calvinists that would say that, you know, that you're just so depraved that you can't even do anything. No, there's that glimmer of light. 
I was communicating back and forth some the brothers, some of the brethren over in Bangladesh, some of those believers there. There was a tremendous breakthrough with some of the relationships and the struggles there. And the brethren that are there right now were just rejoicing. We use WhatsApp because it's um, encrypted. But to see the Spirit of God work, whatever country of the world, whatever culture, the Spirit of God worked to bring people together in forgiveness and reconciliation. It's, it's the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. But as we get older, from a child, understand these things, you know, we start to feel that condemnation. And so there's that light that is, that is, that is coming into our, our soul. Um, I talked before about the... Um, I'm going to illustrate it this way. This would be like the light of God, the light of the Scriptures. And it is shining, and it hits our conscience. It's a little, can't see it very well. But you see that, that light there, that reflection. That's what the conscience does. I'm not going to shine it in your eyes, but that'd be like it shining into each one of our hearts. You see? I guess I could shine it on myself here, my own heart. That's what the conscience is doing. But before we come to Christ, while we can see some of that light, it wasn't very clear, was it? It's because of the sin nature. There's no relationship with God. We haven't had our mirror cleaned, as it were. We haven't had our conscience cleaned. And in salvation, in the new birth, when we come to Christ and we start following that light, and there's individuals across the world today, in all countries of the world, many who have never had the opportunities like you and I have had in relation to knowing the gospel, that are following that glimmer of light. Sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it's a a word that is said. Sometimes they find a page of a New Testament laying on the ground and they pick it up and they start reading it. It's that light and it leads them to Christ. It's powerful. Now, as a side note, as Christian parents, we have the responsibility in training our children to make sure that this stays clear and you can actually enlarge it. You can't get rid of all of this. You can't train your children into being Christian. But we train them. We teach them it's wrong to lie. We teach them it's wrong to steal. And what you're doing is you're helping that to clarify that, that light that is shining into their hearts so that when they come to the understanding of their personal accountability to God, they can come to Christ and they can have, the, um, they can have this clean. And in the new birth, it's like the Holy Spirit moves in and it cleans this. It cleanses the conscience. And that's why the scriptures talk about a cleansed conscience, a purified conscience. We're awakened in Christ. And then, of course, you know, the light becomes a lot, a lot more clear. And it's accurate. And so, therefore, as we focus then our conscience toward the light of this, the scriptures, toward the word of God, we have that true light that comes into our, our being and reveals truth to us. Now, what about an oversensitive conscience? So as people struggle with this. So this is direct illumination. So there's no magnification. I think this side is a magnification. Rather, 
This one is not quite as strong as this one. I'm not sure how many times these magnify. An oversensitive conscience is like using the wrong side of the mirror. See, this one is transmitting, and this is reflecting exactly what it sees, exact dimensions. When we're struggling with an oversensitive conscience, it's like one of these magnification mirrors. You look at it, and it's like, hmm, you see a little more than you want to see, maybe. And this one here is like, really, I can't even hardly focus that one. You could almost count the whiskers. And that's what an oversensitive conscience does. It's not reflecting the true light of the scriptures. It's not reflecting truly what God is saying to me. It's exaggerating it. And it sees every little thing that is like possibly an imperfection. And it magnifies all these things. And it thinks that we're just not measuring up and there's so many flaws in my life. But we have to get the focus right. Allow God to be God and to say to us what he wants to say to us and tell us what we really are in his sight. I'll just use that as an illustration to help us understand this. I suppose we could take it a step further. You think about this whole thing of exercising a conscience, void of offense, a good conscience. So a good conscience in our lives is cleaned. We have no areas of sin, no areas that are not, we have not repented. Our relationship with God is, is pure and holy as we understand it. I don't feel condemned. When we give our peace testimony tonight, that's what we're going to be saying. I'm not aware of anything between me and God. My conscience is, is clear. It, it's, it's clean. In our lives, though, there are times when we can allow certain things to happen. And all of us face this challenge at times when we started dabbling into something or doing something that we know isn't really quite right. We feel a little guilty about it for a while, you know, but we just start, you know, just doing a few things. And after a while, it's a little easier maybe to do a few things. And you know what can happen is you can build up a lot of, a lot of uh, baggage, we say sometimes, a lot of things. And you start to dim that, that, that conscience. You start to dim that reflection. The light is not coming through clear anymore. You know, and you, we can struggle with that. We feel a little guilty. You know, but at some point, you know, for us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with God, we have to say, I need to repent. I've got a problem. I can't keep dabbling in these things that I know are wrong because what happens is it starts to deaden my conscience again. And if we don't stop that process, you can deaden it to the point where you, you do not have a clear picture of the holiness of God. And people do that in their lives. It's called deception. And they say, oh, yeah, we still got the light when it's all distorted and it's not clear. And then they start going off on some side street, as it were, spiritually and and find themselves, you know, getting involved in things they should not. And so it's important for us this morning to think about the exercise of a good conscience in all the practical areas of our lives so that we don't end up dimming that light of God reflected on our soul. There is a point. There is a point in which the Bible talks about where a person can deaden the conscience, you can sear the conscience, you can quench the 
the conscience to finally to the point that there is no, no light accurately reflected anymore. And that would be getting into the realm of what we call the unpardonable sin. You cross that line where there's no more conscience. It's, it, it's deadened. It's destroyed. What do we do with the warning signal of the conscience? That's a choice that we make every day, or, or at least I say that in the general sense. But what we do with a conscience will determine whether we are preserving it or exercising a good conscience. Did Paul need to sometimes learn and sometimes um, repent of things? Certainly he did when he talked about his conscience. Our conscience is worth every effort we put in to focusing it properly. We talk about, you know, our personal devotions, studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, feeding our souls. All that really is, is, is doing, we could say, is it's, it's aligning ourselves with the truth, with the light of God's word that comes to us. And so we say, well, you know, it's a good thing to read the scriptures. Yes, of course it is. But it's also important to our spiritual survival because if we do not keep ourselves aligned properly and, and have our, this, this conscience cleaned so that the truth is coming to us clearly and, and we can understand it and we can apply it to our lives and we, we feel its power in our lives, you know, that, that's what is important to, to maintain our spiritual relationship. You start getting your, your conscience or like the mirror out, out of line. It's not lined up anymore. And after a while, you can start believing things that you thought you'd never believe. We can darken this light. Verse 35, Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness, Jesus said. Don't darken the light of God that is beaming down to us, to you, each of us this morning. Don't darken that by allowing sin in our lives, by allowing wrongdoing, by doing what we know is not right to do. We do that, we are, we are darkening that mirror of truth to our conscience and thereby can lead us into sin and wickedness and spiritual darkness. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, this mirror is focused on the glory of Christ, on the face of Christ, on the face of eternal truth. And as that is beamed to us, it changes us. And we become like that which we reflect, the, uh, the glory of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, how can we exercise a good conscience? A few thoughts. We exercise a good conscience by not trying to do something with it that it was never intended to do. You see, this mirror is really not a mirror, it is really no good if it does not reflect that which is that is pointed toward. It's really, you know, then you might as well just take a piece of board and re- rely on that reflection. See, it takes light to reflect it, but also there's that reflection. If I try to use this in a way that it was never intended, this mirror does not make light. You know, the light that you see is, is not that this created the light. It's only a reflection. And you cannot use the conscience for what is never intended. 
Have you ever heard someone say, I just don't have a conscience against that? As a reason for not doing something. We probably have all said that already. That's no, that's no excuse. That's trying to use the conscience for what it was never intended to be used for. To create light. The mirror is not a source of light. It's only a reflection. So we do not use the conscience for what it was not intended to be used for. Or someone says, well, my conscience just doesn't bother me. I can do that. Well, maybe that's right. Maybe it's not right. Maybe the mirror, maybe the conscience is not angled right. And that's why you don't have a conscience against doing something. You see, so all those would be like statements in relation to a misuse of the conscience. It was never intended to to establish right and wrong. It was only intended to mirror the, the truth of God into our souls. It doesn't create anything of itself. Remember, this is important. Remember, God never intended our conscience to establish right and wrong of itself. It is only a mirror. It produces no light of itself. God only is the one who sets the standards. It's that light of truth that beams into our our lives. Our conscience is never the highest court of appeals. So to say, well, just because it doesn't bother me, does does that mean it's okay? Mm -mm. There's a lot of people doing terrible things today, and their conscience doesn't bother them hardly a stitch because it's not angled at all toward truth. It may be pure humanism, like I said before, they're looking at themselves in the mirror. Or they're looking at somebody else in the mirror. Say, oh, he, he can do it. Guess it's okay for me to do it too. Does that establish truth? Because everybody else is doing it. That's all you see in the mirror. Other people and what they do, does that give us? We, we understand that. God never intended the conscience to establish right and wrong. It's a mirror. And our conscience is never the highest court of appeal. It's the eternal truth of God. And that's where the conscience can be misguided. It can be wrong because, like I said, it's not aimed properly. We exercise a good conscience by keeping a properly informed conscience. Properly informed. We can liken that to the properly aligned. And it's clear. It's clean. It's reflecting eternal truth clearly to us. No question. It aligns perfectly with the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The exercise of a good conscience begins with having been washed in the blood and having that relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. And that's really what is involved in the new birth. When the Holy Spirit moves into the heart of the person that finds Christ, there's that cleaning of the mirror, the cleaning of the conscience, and the light of Christ just opens up. Just and you're, If you're here this morning and you understand this, what it means to be born again and to... And to have that, that mirror clean, cleansed, the conscience cleared, glorious experience. We read the word, we listen to sound teaching, we associate with spiritual people. All of those things are part of us staying aligned with truth as it comes to us. The beam of light into each heart. Sometimes an uninformed conscience can victimize its owner. We talked about that. It can trigger a false alarm when there isn't one. Or like we looked, thought about with, you know, with, with the mirror, 
You know, there's a magnification that is not accurate, not true. I'm glad when I look into this and my nose is not as big as it appears, you know, in this, because it would be out of proportion to the rest of me. I'm just using that as an illustration of what can happen with an oversensitive conscience. We talked about that. It can actually victimize its owner and make all sorts of problems. And it says, well, this isn't right and this isn't right, when actually, if you turn the mirror the other way, it's like, it is perfectly right. We also also exercise a good conscience by remembering that our conscience is generally more reliable when it condemns than when it clears us. Now, the reason I say that is because we each have a personal bias toward ourselves. When you look into the mirror in general, I would say, um, that there's that, that aspect of recognizing who you are. You know what you look like. You can recognize your own image. There's that personal bias that is, is natural to fallen humanity that we have. And you can illustrate it several ways. One way would be that we often tendency, have a tendency to see the flaws in other people more than we see them in ourselves. That's personal bias. Jesus talked about that. He understood human nature. He said, you know, when you're, you see this, this, um, this mite, this speck of dirt in your brother's eye, and you don't realize that you got a beam in your own eye. See, that's a personal bias. And so with a conscience, there always is, there's a sense in which I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about lack of assurance or in that aspect. But there is a sense in which we have to be careful that we don't deceive ourselves into thinking that, yes, everything is okay when it's not. Again, it's that honesty with truth. To honestly look at ourselves fairly and squarely in relation to the conscience, that mirror of the conscience, and say, you know, really this is what God says about me. This is really who I am. There's a poem I remember, school days, talks about, you know, being able to look yourself in the eye. At the end of the day, to be able to look yourself directly in the eye. Do you ever do that, stand in front of a mirror and look yourself directly in the eye for a little bit? We kind of look in the mirror and, yeah, everything is okay, here's okay, it's all okay. Try standing in front of a mirror and look yourself right in the eye and say, that's really who I am. It's not that comfortable to do that. We are better. Our conscience usually is better at condemning us than exonerating us because of that that bias we have toward ourselves. So we need to keep that in mind. We also exercise a good conscience by not offending it. We talk some about this. Don't merely soothe it. Oh, sometime I'll get this figured out or sometime I'll get this, I'll do this. You know, there in Acts 24... The passage that we started off with, Felix there, you know, he, he trembled. He, 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 knew, he knew deep inside that what Paul was saying was, was, was true. What did he say? You know, at a more convenient time, I'll, I'll, I'll call for you. I'd, I'd like to put this off a little bit. I'll repent later sometime. He was just trying to just 
that conscience that was just pricking him and showing him up and bothering him inside, he knew what Paul was saying was true. But he said, you know, just I'll just put this off. Like sometime I'll, I'll call you again. Don't defile or deliberately override it. That's another way in which we need to keep from offending our conscience, which again involves, you know, that uh, covering over that, that mirror so that it doesn't show, doesn't prick us, doesn't show us up for what we really are. Don't defile it or deliberately override it. You know, we, we can get careless in this. Yes, I know I really shouldn't do this, but, you know, this one time. Or I should, really shouldn't do this, but, you know, all my friends are doing it right now. All those arguments, all those things are part of, part of going against the conscience. You're deliberately overriding it. It's like Herod with John the Baptist there. You know, and, you know, and when his stepdaughter danced there in front of them, and he said, I'll give you whatever you ask, even to the half of the kingdom. And her mother told her, you asked for the head of John the Baptist. I'm sure Herod never expected that to happen in his wildest moments. And when she came back and told him that, Herod did not want to do it whatsoever. He kind of liked John the Baptist a bit. He was okay to have him in prison there. But to behead him, no. But the Bible says, he told the executioner to go do it because of those that sat at meat with him. He had to save face with those who were were there with him. He did what he knew he should not do to save face, save his reputation because of who was sitting with him at the table. We also be careful not to shift blame like Pilate did. You know, where Pilate knew in his conscience, and his wife came and pricked his conscience a little more by saying, you know, see that thou have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things in a dream this day because of him. And that just, I think, just churned inside of Pilate all the more when she said that, because he already knew that something was not right here, and, and he was he was bothered by this, and yet he didn't want to, you know, stand up to the crowd and those that were crying for, for Christ to be crucified. And so finally Pilate brought this, asked for a bowl of water, and he washed his hands before all of them. And, you know, and he said, I, I'm, I'm clear of this, just man. I, I'm clear of this. You know, it's up to you. He tried to shift the blame from himself to the crowd by doing that. Somehow soothe that conscience. We must face the reality of our wrongs and clear the conscience. Time itself won't erase our wrongs. It could deaden the conscience if we just leave things year after year and not not clear them. There's a deadening part that goes with that. You can't run away from your conscience. You can deaden it. You can quench it. It's you know you can make it a lot quieter than when it was before. If you keep ignoring it trying to um, run away from it. You know, Jonah tried that. That's an interesting story, what happened to him. Jonah knew better. He tried to get a, run away from his conscience. Judas attempted it. 
took that, those 30 pieces of silver back, threw them on the floor at the feet of the priest there. Run away from it. But it followed him all the way to the end of the rope. We exercise a good conscience by refusing to argue or negotiate with it. Talked a little bit about this before. We can argue with it. We can somewhat debate our conscience. Well, you know, it's just this time or just not as bad or whatever it is. We get into those dialogues with our conscience, we will always lose. When that truth is coming to us. Genesis 37 is a story there of Joseph and his brothers. It's a story of, of men, br- the brothers there that were, that were arguing with their conscience. You know, they said, well, some of them said, well, let's kill him. One of them said, Judah said, no, just let's put him in a pit. And his intention was to come get him later. Then they had the band of Ishmaelites come along. One of them got the brainy idea, we just sell him, and then we don't have to kill him. Won't have any innocent blood on our hands. And he's gone, out of our lives. And if you read that story, just, just picture yourself there, listening to their argument, you know, that was going on inside, but even outside a little bit, verbally. You know, where, where they justified selling their brother to slavery because that was better than killing him. We can do the same thing in our minds. When we resolve a seeming greater sin into what seems like a lesser sin, and I think to them it almost felt virtuous because they didn't kill him. You see, we can do, we can do that again. It's that whole thing of debating or negotiating or arguing with our conscience and kind of argue this thing down to that a lesser sin is more virtuous than committing a greater sin. We're really both are wrong. They should have never attempted or thought of killing Joseph. They should not have thrown him in the pit. They should not have sold him to the Ishmaelites. All those were wrong. They should not have had jealousy toward him to start with. So that's what can happen. We get into those debates with the conscience. We exercise a good conscience by building personal convictions in ourselves. It is not simply enough to rely on positive peer pressure. It is not enough for us to rely on the church, to be a member of the church, which is good and important, but that in itself is not going to save us in relation to our conscience. We have to have those convictions We have to understand and have that mirror of the conscience focused on truth. And we are obeying and we're doing what our brethren, as brethren we agree on because of my allegiance to Christ. And my conscience is there to help me with that. It's not merely enough to rely on the teaching of good parents and all those things. Again, important. But we must take responsibility for ourselves in our own conscience before God. We exercise a good conscience by being faithful to his warnings. How do we strengthen? How do we say, well, I've been careless with my conscience? How do we change that? Start listening to it. Ask God for forgiveness. 
there's anything to clear up. You know, get that mirror wiped clean again through the power of the Holy Spirit in confession or whatever it takes, that that image coming from, from God of eternal truth beaming into our hearts is accurate, it's clear, it's the reality of, of eternal truth. And so it's really not hard in relation to the conscience to strengthen it, to clarify it, to have it as a, a faithful marker for us. There's a clear focus. Keep it focused right. Not on the things of this world, not on other people, but on Jesus Christ and truth. And sometimes we need the help of others to get our conscience adjusted because maybe we don't see things as clear as we should. We don't understand some things. So that's fine. But we're willing to reach out for the help of God and others. We can get that, get that focus properly. Lastly, we preserve a good conscience by remembering the righteous judgment of God pronounced upon sin will never change. The scriptures are the eternal word of God. Every time we hear the scriptures read, we hear the, the scriptures taught, we hear the scriptures preached, we read the scriptures ourselves in personal Bible study, all of those things are part of a good, or the exercise of a good conscience. You know, to, to have that understood, that um, where at times when I get careless in a certain area of my life, or you, and I'm sure we could have testimonies about this, whether it's in my speech or my attitudes or whatever it is. I thought about the other day about a situation, not necessarily involving myself, but not in our group here either, but another area where there's some really strong attitudes. We'd say bad attitudes between some brethren. And then the thought came to me, you know, First John says that he hated his brother is a murderer. It's like, hmm, I don't know if we've thought about that lately in that situation. But that's what the Bible says. I need to challenge every once in a while too, you know, like you probably do too, reading what Jesus says about our words. When he tells us every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give a counter of in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You know, when, I, when we read that, we you know, the thing of a good conscience is that means I need to pay attention to what I say, right? The words I use. That's just that simple. That's what the scripture says. And that we need to read that. We need to understand that. We have that impressed upon our minds, our conscience, so that when there's a word that we should, that should never cross our lips, but it may be on the tip of the tongue, that it does not cross that barrier. And we get it out of our minds, too, with the help of the Holy Spirit. It, but it does not cross the lips. It, it, we will not say that because of a conscience. What about any kind of sin, temptations? How do we deal with those things in relation to the conscience? I think of Joseph there with his conscience. We don't often think about Joseph's conscience. But I thought about in relation to this passage. You know, when he was tempted there, he said, I can't do this wickedness because I'm going to be sinning against God. See, that, that was a conscience. And he had that in his, in his mind and heart before he got to that moment. 
And you think about that in, in our lives. What do we need to do today to sharpen ourselves, to make sure our conscience is working properly so that we get into those, those uh, the depths of temptation and whatever it is that our conscience is there saying no. And it's clear to us, we understand it, and we, don't, we, we refuse it. We know, we understand, all of us, that sometimes it's not a temptation in the thing itself, but it may be something back here. How many times do young people say, you know, my struggle, where I fell, where I got into spiritual difficulty was because I wasn't being as careful with my music and I was listening to worldly music. How many times do you think we've heard that over the years? You see, I just use that as an illustration. Because we are not careful in one area of our conscience, we can weaken ourselves into a lot of other areas, even more serious things. So that's important to think about that. In the downward slide away from God, a person's conscience can be deadened to the point that there is no further response or reflection of truth. How healthy is our conscience this morning? Again, Jesus said, Luke eleven thirty five, take heed. In other words, take a good look at ourselves. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of darkness in the world around us encroaching darkness all around us. Let's be like the children of Israel there in the darkest hours of the plagues of Egypt. The plague of darkness. I I love the picture you get there. It talks about it in Exodus. It was so dark they could feel it. They couldn't move. They couldn't even do anything. But it says, but the Israelites had light in all their dwellings. That's a picture of us today in a, in a dark world. Light, our darkness all around us. May we have light in our houses, but also may we have light in our souls. Because no matter how dark the world around us will get, it will never stop the light of God, the light of truth, from beaming into our lives. Jesus said that the darkness will never overcome the light. And that's a promise to us. May God help us in that. Let's kneel to pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. (coughs) We thank you for eternal truth. We thank you, Father, that we can know the way. Because you promised to guide us. You promised to give us your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the light you've given us. May we never dim that light in anything that we do or say, choices we make. But ever keep that light clear coming to us through our conscience, the voice of your Holy Spirit. Father, you know each of our hearts. You know where we're at in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual struggles. Pray that you would help us to know the truth, to live the truth in our hearts and lives. Bless each of us today, and may we continue to be your faithful people. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.